This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. 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 Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Dissonomics Podcast. I hope you've had a fantastic week. Please make sure you check out last week's episode. I was joined by clinical psychologist um, Dr. Joanna, as well as cognitive behavioural therapist Daryl, to talk about mental health issues, the differences, some of the behavioural issues that us human beings have experienced or witnessed from people around us, how things manifest differently in men and women, and also the similarities. And we also spoke about a few buzzwords that gets thrown around a lot, like narcissism, toxic, um, gaslighting, all these terms. So it's a very, very good and interesting podcast, a lot of information. So make sure you check that out. Also, if you want in-depth knowledge of Ukraine, the episodes before that there's plenty of great great information especially the one I did with Mike Omonihi from the Common Sense Network so check those podcasts out of course now this week we're going we're keeping it politics but slightly different I'm talking electoral systems because I thought it'd be interesting to go through the different types of electoral systems work out how we decide to elect individual or civil servants shall I say to serve the country enter parliament and make laws and do all that politics stuff. But the, the method, the, the methodology that you choose has a very big impact on who actually enters these seats. And I want to discuss how democratic is that? And should we change the way we do things? So maybe we can avoid <laughs> ending up with a young Boris. So yeah, that's the nature of this week's podcast. I hope you enjoy. And yeah, let's go. Hi, it's MXM, and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's late. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Dysonomics podcast. This week, we are talking about electoral systems and why maybe our current one sucks. So what is an an electoral system? An electoral system or voting system is a set of rules that determine how elections and referendums are conducted and how their results are determined. So very, very, very straightforward. A system that determines how we elect government officials or referendum. For example, we had the EU referendums. Should we stay or leave the European Union? We had that in June 2016. That's an example of referendum. I know Scotland had a referendum if they should separate from the UK or whatever it was. So there's different forms of referendums and vote and electoral um, elections. Like in the UK, we got you got your mayoral election, you got your elections, like for example, mayor. So there's like the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan won the last one, I believe it was last year. You have elections for MEP, so that's members of European Parliament. You have elections for local your local councillors, and you have, of course you have the main election, which is 
the general election that determines who your local MP is and as well who is the prime minister of the country. So that's what an electoral system is. Now, what is the current system? In the UK, we have a FPTP system. I know that might sound like some internet hyperlink mumbo jumbo, mumbo jumbo, sorry, but that is effectively first past the post. Though I keep saying effectively because it doesn't need to be said very sentence. In first past the post system, each voter makes a mark next to the one candidate on the ballot paper. So if anybody who's voted, I've voted in like three or four elections and a referendum, it's just very simple. You go to your ballot box, they give you a like square sheet of paper with a bunch of candidates' names and you just do a mark on the candidate's name that you are voting for. So yeah, each voter makes a mark next to the candidate on the ballot paper. The system is a plurality voting system and there's kind of three main systems you can say. There's a majority plurality system, semi-proportional systems and a full-on proportional representation systems. And I wanna talk about a few of them now. So this is a plurality system. And this is how it works. Whoever has the most votes wins. So let's say for example, me, and let me use some of my friends. Okay, I'll use my two last guests, Daryl and Joanna, were all gunning for um, the, a constituency called, I don't know, Disneyland, yeah? So me, Daryl and Joanna, we all want to win the seat of Disneyland, right? So in this election, I win 40% of the total votes. Yeah? Let's say there was 10,000 votes, I won 4,000. Daryl and Joanna each won 3,000, so they won 30% of the votes. I win the seat. Although 60% of the voters didn't vote for me, I still win. I didn't even have the majority of the votes. I had 40%. I still win. So that's the first past the post. Whoever gets the lo the most votes wins. Uh, the pure first past the post system is actually found in the UK and countries historically influenced by the UK adopt the system. So obviously we still adopt it here in the UK. Canada use it, India use it, New Zealand have used it, and so does the USA. However, New Zealand has recently switched to more a proportional representative system. So if you look at electoral, electoral college, that's effectively a first pass system. In elections, oh, sorry, before I go into that, um, the first, first pass post is also used by like a dozen odd Caribbean nations, um, Belize and a couple of other Southern, Southern American nations, and about 10 Asian states, including Bangladesh, Nepal, Malaysia, Pakistan. So quite a lot of countries use this system. And there's a reason for that, which I'll get into shortly. In elections, the House of Commons, a single individual is elected from Parliament constituency to serve as a member of Parliament. So if we if we circle back to my example, I'm the one who wins. So Daryl Joanna, you're gonna have to hold that. I win the election, so I represent Disneyland in Parliament, and that's how it works. The UK is divided into 650 areas. So 650 different constituencies that have one MP representing each constituency and they make up parliament. I hope that makes sense. So how does these MPs end up making a government? Well, the party with the most MPs becomes a government. 
similar, similar first past the post. The party, the most MPs are technically the government, right? So if we look at our last, the last election, which was in December 2019, just before the pandemic, the Conservatives had more MPs than all the other parties put together. So Boris won in, one of the, in a historical margin and beating um, Jeremy Corbyn. So if you tallied up all the amount of Conservative MPs, that was more than everybody else put together. This means they held the majority. And this, and so they became the government. They were the government because they had more MPs than anybody else. However, just because you have more MPs than everyone else doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna have be like this dominant government. So if we circle all the way back to 2010, David Cameron won, I remember if I remember correctly, I was in university, David Cameron won that election, but he didn't win it by a large enough margin. So he had a minority government. So majority government means that, let's say for example, tomorrow, Boris Johnson wanted to pass a law that says, if you have blonde hair, you get 50% off every grocery, right? If, if he put this into parliament, hypothetically, if all the Tory MPs voted, with Boris, then that's a law. Simply because they've got more seats than everybody else and they've got the majority, so they will always win the vote because they have the majority of the seats. However, minority government is when a government has the most MPs, but they don't have enough to have a majority. So that's what happened in 2010. David Carroll had the most MPs, but he did not have enough M he didn't have enough seats to form a government. So obviously Labour weren't gonna do it. So he tried to link up the DUP and of course he linked up with the Liberal Democrats, which was um which was run by Nick Clegg at the time. And obviously everybody was like, oh my God, how could the Conservatives link up with Nick Clegg? And one of the controversial things with that is was the Liberal Democrats were speaking of like they didn't want to raise tuition fees and then and the Conservatives did, and what happened under that government, tuition fees went from 3,000 to 9,000 pounds. Didn't go that well the next election where the Liberal Democrats got absolutely battered. Did you get it? Now, what are the advantages of first past the post? As of everything, there's advantages and disadvantages. And it's up to us to look at the balance of advantages and disadvantages to determine whether something is good or not, useful or not, or neutral. So if we look at the first past the post voting system, there are some advantages. Due to one MP being elected per constituency, this means that there'll be a strong constituency MP relationship because you know who your MP is. If voters don't like the MP, they can get him the hell out of it. So if the MP starts doing a bunch of nonsense, next election, you know, you could boot he, he or she out. Another advantage is that it creates one party strong governments. Usually one party wins, which means it gives them five years to put their plans into action. So if a government has a mandate, it has that, and they've they've got this mandate because they had a manifesto and they've now they've won the election because people effectively voted for the manifesto. They've got a mandate to put things in place over five years and that is a reasonable period of time. Another advantage is that first past the post is very simple. It's easy to understand and familiar to the voters. They know we vote, whoever's got the most votes wins, done. Very simple. It also provides a coherent parliamentary opposition because it's very, yo, this is the main party that's got, uh, that's one. You've also got the main party that's opposition. So you know, you've got the ops and you've got the government. Another thing is that it broadly, um, it benefits the more broadly based political parties. 
So if you look at severely, ethically and regionally divided society, First Past the Post is praised for encouraging political parties to be broad churches, encompassing many elements of society, particularly when the two major parties and they, and they may, may vary over different societal social groups. So when you think about it in the UK, think about how, especially London, how diverse London is from different, like for example, I always joke about how different areas have different types of people so if you go to Tottenham for example you'll see a lot a lot of Jamaicans a lot of Turkish people a lot of Ghanaian people Palmer's Green you see a lot of Greeks um, Stockwell you see a lot of South Southern Americans a lot of Portuguese uh, Wembley and Kingsbury there's a lot of Somalians uh, Southall a lot of um, Southern Asians Peckham, Tainsmead, a lot of Nigerians. Like, it's just interesting that you see, like, large clusters of ethnic groups may situate in certain areas in London, for example. Then you've got different social economic backgrounds. Then you've got people, different sexual orientations, different religions. So, Labour, Conservative, Liberal Dems, they have to be broad to kind of encapsulate all these ethnicities. And not to say they do a fantastic job, but that's the advantage is that that's a, you have to be broad you ha- and then that enables you to kind of be able to adapt to various peoples within your society and that's very di- and that might be more difficult to do in a PR system so these so um so and how this ha- how this is useful is that parties can field a diverse uh, array of candidates for elections so you have ethnic minorities, um, MPs, you have women MPs, for example, Margaret Thatcher and Theresa May were both prime ministers and they were both um, women. Um, you've got um, Rishi Shunak, who's the Chancellor of, uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer. You've got um, Priti Patel, who's the Home Secretary. You've got Sajid Javid, who was the formula Chancellor and now he's, now he's the Health Sec. So you've got all these different types of um, key figures in government positions from different races. Of course, the representation isn't there at the level we want yet. So, but yeah, this is this can have be done in theory. Um, another advantage is that it excludes extremist parties from parliamentary representation. So, unless extremist party uh, electoral support is geographically concentrated, so let's say there's a lot of like extremists in one region. So we saw this, and oh, people don't shout at me, but. There's a point where um, BNP or or and UKIP are winning seats in certain regions. I think Essex was one because I remember going to my boy's house back in the day and I used to see so many BNP stickers in the windows in Essex. I was like, what type of area am I in? Like, unless it's concentrated, they're unlikely to win any seats. Whereas under PR, they will win because it depends on the proportion of the vote, not you having enough to win in a particular area. Another advantage is that it allows voters to choose between people rather than just parties. At the same time, you can also assess the um, performance of individual candidates rather than just having to accept a list of candidates presented by a party. Like, we could, yo, yo, you man, these are the candidates, yeah? So, vote. Doesn't matter like that. Another advantage is that it gives a chance for popular independent candidates to be elected. 
so obviously you don't have to be a part be a part of a big party but if you're very popular in your local constituency you have the chance to actually win a seat so yeah those are the pros and cons of our system first past the post and i'll probably talk about it towards the end of the pod with regards to um what i feel about it in relation to our system but quickly a quick break for the ads this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory shopify pos has everything you need to sell in person Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Okay, I'm back. I'm back, people. So now, the disadvantages. Sorry, I don't, I don't know why I said pros and cons uh, before. Disadvantages. Uh, smaller parties don't gain fair representation. So this this might be a good thing, in my humble opinion. But in 2015, UKIP polled 12.6% of the vote but they only got one MP. How can one in 10 people vote for my party, but I don't get one in 10 of the seats? Surely I should. they should have 60 seats, 65 seats, 70 seats, roughly. They got one. <laughs> well, if you look at SNP, they received 50% of the votes in the Scottish elections, but they got 56 of the 59 Scottish MPs. That is insane. Insane. Um, another um, another disadvantage is that uh, it kind of exaggerates regional fiefdoms. So this is where one party wins all the seats in a in particular area. So FTP, FPTP, first past the post, tends to create regions where where one party through winning the majority in the votes in the region wins all and nearly all the parliamentary seats. So this kind of ex- this kind of excludes regional minorities from representation and reinforces like politics is a battleground defined by who you are and where you live rather than what you believe in. So this can be a bit tricky. So for example, there's certain areas like where, like especially in my area, like all the seats are Labour. They just are just due to the type of people that live here. So, if you're not that way inclined politically, it's a bit tight. Um, another issue with first past the post is that it leaves a large number of wasted votes. So, votes which don't go towards election of any candidates are often referred to wasted votes. Um, so, when a minority party support begin to feel that they have no realistic hope or ever electing their candidate of choice, it's just tight. <laughs> it's just like also first pass of post can be unresponsive to changes in public opinion so if you have a pattern of geographically concentrated electoral support in a country means that one party can maintain almost exclusive control and still lose a significant portion of their of the popular vote and still be dominant so for example let's say for example you had 80% of the popular vote and then it drops to 60%. No, you had 60% of the popular vote, sorry, and it dropped to 40%. That'll probably that's probably equal to having like 80% of the total seats, you drop to 60%. If you have 60% of the total seats, you're still dominant. You still 
you still have the government, you still determine what flipping goes on. So that is another disadvantage. And also with first past the first, it's also open to manipulation of electoral boundaries. So by just mending around the, the districts and the, and the, and the borderlines, you can really do manipulate who wins and loses the election. Now, the next thing I want to talk to you about is called proportional representation system. And I actually think if you talk about the most democratic and the most fair, I think this is the most fair system. Um, the rationale behind PR, proportional representation system, is that it reduces disparity between parties as they share the national votes. And so the, so the share of the national vote is the share of the parliamentary seats. So if you get 40% of the total votes, you get 40% of the of parliament which makes the most reasonable sense. So countries that use this system are Belgium, Portugal, Monaco, Spain, Netherlands, Switzerland, Sweden, Finland, Denmark. Like you see like the more Nordic countries use this and people quite hail up how to do things. So maybe they're onto something. So what are the advantages and disadvantages of this system. So let's go with the good stuff first. Well, it favorably translates votes cast into seats one. So PR systems can avoid some more disabled and unfair results. So for example, if you look at the election between Trump and Hillary, Hillary more people actually voted for Hillary than Trump, but Trump won an election. That should not be allowed to happen, period. Uh, it creates fewer wasted votes it facilitates minorities parties acts representation unless the threshold is like unduly high um you're likely to be able to accurately represent um smaller minority groups and parties whatever simply because it's a proportional thing it allows parties to present diverse list of candidates so the incentive under a list PR system to maximize the national vote regardless of where these votes might come from so every vote even from um, editorial week area goes towards filling another quota and thus giving you another seat. Um, like this is, I find this very useful. Also, it encourages the election of minority representatives because of, as I said before, um, it makes it more likely that women are elected again for similar reasons to prior. It also restricts the growth of regional fiefdoms as what I spoke about earlier. And it may lead to more efficient government. It's been argued that in, to, in relation to established democracy, the governments that are elected by PR methods are more effective than those elected by first past the post. Um, the Western European experience suggests that the parliamentary PR system score better with regards to government longevity, scores better with people actually participating in voting and economic performance. And people say the reason behind this is that governments... Um, that the rationale is that regular switches in governments between two like polarizing parties ideologically if you've got two parties that are like left and right green, um, black and white um, good and bad right and left you know like just two different like on different ends of the spectrum um, it makes long term economic planning more difficult because you have one party who wins who have this perspective they put things in, in, in play then the next party wins and then they have a different perspective they scrap what the other party did and put their own print in things so with while when you look at um, proportional representation coalition governments help like kind of give more stability and coherence in decision making which is probably better for national development because you have to work with each other 
Also, it makes power sharing more visible. So that's like the good of the proposal representational system. Here's like the most like um, well-known arguments against it. Coalition governments, people don't like coalition governments. And that's a government, like what I mentioned earlier in the pods in 2010, when the Liberal Democrats had to join up with the Conservative Party to make a government because Conservatives had a minority government, meaning they didn't have enough seats to have a majority. So coalition governments can lead to legislative gridlock and subsequently inability to carry out policies at the time of oppressive need. So if you have a coalition government, you have to collaborate. And if other people don't want to collaborate with you, you might not be able to push through certain things that need to be done. So let's say, for example, like in the pandemic, they needed to be pushing through certain pieces, certain um, legislative pieces, so we can react to the pandemic quickly. But we had a coalition government and everybody disagreed on how to do things. That's not good because you can't get ish done. I remember when, uh, after 9-11, they made like, I think like the Terror Act very, very quickly. They were able to react to it quickly because they had a majority government, boom, we got this law, we need to adapt to this shit, boom, done. Um, Another disadvantage is a destabilizing fragmentation in the party system. Um, so basically, proportional representation, proportional representation, is not like really kind of pushing forward party systems. It's more looking at breaking it down and collaboration. Um, it does give a platform to extremist parties because if, for example, like UKIP, they're they're pretty pretty on the extreme side. They could have got twelve percent of the of the seats in. In um in two thousand and what election was that? Was it two thousand and sixteen? I can't remember what election it was, but they could have got um a lot of the seats. Um, governing coalitions which have insufficient grounds, common grounds, like they just won't be able to do anything. They'll just be arguing all the time. Also, it makes it difficult to like throw a party out of power because it may be. They may be like doing a lot of higgy haggah, a lot of rubbish, but if they're a large party, you can't get rid of them because they will still gain a, a certain level of proportion of the vote. Let's say it's thirty percent, and it's Labour Party, and they're doing the nonsense, or Conservative Party, they're doing nonsense. We can't get rid of them because if people vote thirty percent, they're gonna get thirty percent of the seats. Whereas if like this current Conservative Party, I don't think they're doing a very good job. The country has the opportunity to get rid of them in the next election, which could be as early as twenty. It could be a whatever, but it's likely to be 2023, 2024. Also, another disadvantage is the weakening of the link between MPs and constituents. So me personally, I kind of like this one a bit better because I think it's just more fair. And I think governments need to be forced to collab because you can't just have different people who lead parties with different agendas and they start to spend billions and billions of taxpayers' money implementing stuff and then somebody else wins the election and completely and utterly sacks it off or do something else. It just doesn't make sense. I think our MPs should be... The whole ideology is that you're coming to politics to collaborate. So, yeah, that's my personal opinion. Um, So let's go... And I'll go over one more system because there's one system we have in the UK. So we've got a system in the UK called a supplement, supplementary vote. Um, elections for mayors in England and Wales and for the police and crime commissioners use a supplementary vote system. This is very simple. The SV system is like is like um, is like the alternative vote system. 
voters are limited to a first and second preference. Do you know like when somebody asks you, oh, do you want anything from the shop? Yeah, like if they've got um, Haagen-Dazs, they've got Haagen-Dazs, Pronas and Cream, grab me that. But if not, I'll deal with a, I'll deal with a salted caramel. It's just like that. Same thing. So for example, we had this last year with um, Sadiq Khan and Sean Bailey. So you have a first and second preference choice. A voter marks a cross in the column for the first preference and then they mark a cross in the second for the second one. If they, and that's if they wish to do so. If a candidate reaches more than 50% of the first preference votes, they win. Done. If I get 51%, haha, I win, you lose. If no candidate reaches 50% threshold, two candidates with the highest votes remain. This kicks everybody out. And the second preference of the limited candidates are counted. Any made for the two remaining candidates are transferred. The candidate with the most votes at the end of this process is elected. Pretty simple. So for those who voted last year, oh, was it last year or this year? I can't remember. For, um, what do you call it? Um, the London mayor, you saw that there was like a long list of candidates. Long list, longer than you usually see on a general election for your local MP. Um, so the winning candidate must have secured wide range of support. Um, and yeah, so this is the system. Um, what are the advantages? Well, the fact that the winning candidate must need um, wide range of support, as I said, um, they don't need to need, they don't need to win a first ballot, nor will they often have an major, initial majority of fifty percent. But they need at least some support from across the spectrum to win. So even people who may not have voted them initially still think highly enough for them to vote for them um, in the in the secondary market effectively. Um, unlike the alternative vote, there is no such restrictions on second preferences. The London Mayor rules state that only second preference votes granted to one of the two top candidates on the first ballot are filtered through the system. So smaller or more extreme parties can't can't boost their performance this in this way if a voter opts for an extreme party as their first preference and a mainstream candidate as a second preference, for example. It's only the second um, of these votes that will actually count. So that's useful. And there's only one round of tailoring and the process is, is, is pretty easy to follow. It's not that difficult. Disadvantages now. The, an absolute majority of votes cast is not required to win. And if, um, and if this system was used to elect assembly or legislature, there'll be no guarantee that the governing party will have over 50% of the votes. So that's one disadvantage. It also reduces the choices effectively to two candidates, really and truly. And this might impact voter turnout in London. Like, it's very, very low. So in 2016, 45% of people voted, which is shocking. And that matched the same in 2008. And that's when Boris stood. And if you look at 2000, the year 2000, year 2004, the year 2012, that was between 34 and 38%. So six out of 10 Londoners who were eligible to vote didn't even vote that is just not very good so what do i think i think our um electoral system definitely needs change i think like we should be forcing mps to be collaborative to be not just like just on a yellow vibe doing things that the media, saying things the media want sometimes, balancing media pressure, actually coming together, 
discussing what is best for the country, whether it be welfare, whether it be health, whether it be defence, foreign policy, economics, the environment, transportation, whatever it may be, having highly skilled people coming together, collaborating and developing long-term plans. Because I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos recently and some countries that do very well, it's literally a group of people came together and developed a long-term plan. Like, you know, Arab Emirates, they developed a long-term plan on how they wanted to reinvest their oil profits into developing their region to make it attractive for FDI, which is foreign direct investment. It's doing very well. Denmark used its um, oil profits to create this sovereign fund and they're doing absolutely amazing stuff so it's just annoying have and then when you have first past the post which kind of elects strong governments and all that malarkey you get people doing up legacy people might not know but the only reason why we had a referendum on brexit is because david cameron wanted it for his legacy and it backfired so bad he had to he had to flip in quick his job <laughs> to get it so i would love to see a proportional representative system in the uk that is my preference. But yeah, let me know what you think, people. Um, and yeah, hashtag Dysonomics, Shot and Chaser, make sure you listen to that. And I don't think anything else to, to push. But yeah, people, peace and blessings. Bow. Podcast Network.